right, y'all. Welcome back to another Lawns Across America podcast. This one coming to you on August 1st, 2nd, 3rd, right in there. So we're now into what I would consider the hottest month of the year, August. And that's just me using my anecdotal evidence as a certified native Floridian that we are definitely coming into the hottest parts of the year. Today, July 30th, when I'm recording this, it's Sunday. It's uh, just now noon, 1157, 92 degrees. And it uh, looks like we're going to have a high of 96, which is going to come around 2 p.m. So that'll be one of the hottest days we've had here recently, and the heat wave is going to continue. It's always funny to me, you start watching the news, you'll see articles or you'll see people doing stories on it. It's the hottest week ever, and people are staying inside and and check on your elderly relatives, right? It, it, it's like every year is the worst, it seems. But this is pretty typical for summer. I know my friends across New Jersey, you're going to get uh, a little change in the weather, which should be nice. Haven't looked at the Midwest. Haven't had a chance to do a lot this week as far as looking at what the weather looks like outside of where I live. But super hot. Our rain has picked up, and um, that's been the thing. We've been in a, in a, I guess I'd call it a drought. I probably need to do some re- some research on that, but definitely not the same weather patterns that we get where we get rain every single day. Usually in the summers, I, I barely have to run my irrigation once a week, if that, and I do have historical records of that. However, uh, this year I've had to run it four or five times a week. So you can see that this is definitely a different year down here in Florida, and my lawn is still performing well. The good news with not having a ton of rain, humidity has been high, Without a lot of rain, I'm not having a lot of um, I'm not having a lot of gray leaf spot like I have in the past. So humidity's been high, but not the rain. And I don't know if there's a correlation there. I'm sure there is, but gray leaf spot has not been bad. And I have Palmetto St. Augustine, which is more susceptible to gray leaf spot than um, Floratam or any of the other varieties that you might have. So pretty interesting season. I am enjoying it. I love the summer. And in fact, uh, if any of you are still coming for vacation here in Florida, I always sometimes like to give you some tips. You should consider visiting Wachi. Wiki Wachi. My my locals will know Wiki Wachi. Uh, it is a spring-fed river. Um, I guess that's the best. I'll just say Wiki Wachi is an unincorporated community and former city located in Hernando County. Okay, so it's a city too. <laughs> But I should do more research. Wiki, let's see. Wiki, watchy, oof. Say that two times fast, and you're you're out. Wiki, watchy river. Here we go. It's a spring-fed river, and uh, it is a super cool place to visit. And I haven't been there in many years. There's a church camp there that I went to when I was a kid, and uh, have some great memories there. And I have not been back since then. They also have. Uh, they're famous for their mermaid shows, which I have not been to one of those since I was a little kid. I remember. As a kid, we would go to the mermaid shows every couple of years or so, and uh, I didn't really care about the show as a, as a young kid. What I was more concerned about was seeing how long the mermaids could hold their breath because they had these underwater tubes that they would breathe from, and so I was like trying to test them to see you know, if they could actually hold their breath very long, so I would watch them take breaths, and then I would just time it in my head. That's more what I cared about, but they are famous for the mermaid shows, Buccaneer Bay. We actually took kayaks out on the Wikiwachi River. A friend of mine rented an Airbnb, and that's the whole thing, the little town there that kind of surrounds the river. There's there's canals and stuff that go through. It used to be nothing but crackers living there, but these days it's almost all Airbnbs. And uh, But the river's still beautiful, crystal clear because it's spring-fed. You will see manatees in there even this time of year. You'll see them in there, but uh, there's even more in there in the winter as they're coming inland for the warmer waters. So Wikiwachi is pretty skinny water. It's uh, There's some spots where... It's barely accessible through kayak. It gets into three or four inches of depth. And what's interesting is, and what I don't remember as a child, 
and again, things are different now and, and, and that it's been many, many years since I've been there, but there are actually power boats on the river. And I'm not talking about, you know, a little John boat. I'm talking about like center console boats, <laughs> a lot of pontoon boats too. Um, it, in some places, Wikiwachi is only about maybe 15 yards across, if that. So there's some areas where not only is the water skinny or shallow, but actually the width of the river itself is not very wide. And we were there on a Tuesday doing a little kayaking, and here comes an 18-foot center console. Now, they can only go idle speed, which is, I don't know why you would purchase a center console for this water, unless they're obviously going out and using it also out in the uh, Gulf. But either way, taking in, and there's an 18-foot center console coming down, and we are hugged all the way to the right to the bank. And uh, it's a scout boat too. Scout, it, it, they're not cheap boats is what I'm getting at. An expensive center console idling through, um, you know, got it. I mean, at least what, a 150, 200 horsepower <laughs> motor on the back in idle. And a dude on the front, standing on the front. Now, we're just we're just kayaking, enjoying ourselves, just going down the river, nice and lazy. We're going, the current is pulling. We're not going against the current. We're going with the current, just floating. All the way to the right. And this dude, it, this boat starts coming right at us. Now, again, it's maybe, like I said, what, 15 yards across, 30 feet, barely, um, and uh, or 40 feet, 45 feet, whatever the math is. It's not wide. There's a dude on the front, and he is got to be in his 40s, and he's jacked, like 18% body fat, maybe 15%. Um, Flat-brimmed hat, which tells you a whole lot. Um, and, and he's yelling out, he's yelling out, there's a manatee behind you. Turn around if you want to see it. Meanwhile, somebody else is driving the boat, and there's they got their uh, mates. With, there's three men, three women, so whatever you want to call that, right? Day out on the water running over kayakers is what I call it. So, dude, they start coming right at me. Now, the dude that's driving is a different guy, and he's going, I'm new, I'm new, I don't know how to drive, I'm new, I'm new, which to me sounded like the way he said it is, I've been drinking too much. That's what it sounded like to me. Again, we're hugged up to the right. They're coming right at us. Thick boy on the front, after he realizes that we don't really care about turning around and seeing a manatee, we're just trying to get out of your way. Then he says to me, he goes, don't worry, if the boat hits you, it won't hurt it. That's what he says to us. <laughs> so I, we, me, I paddle out of the way really quick. We paddle out of the way really quick. And, and, and just as he said that, I mean, he missed me by four or five feet. Okay. And he's going idle speed, but still, this is an 18 foot center console boat coming down on me and I'm on a nine and a half foot kayak. Right. So as he says that, don't worry if we hit you, it won't hurt us or hurt the boat. I'm like, I'm not worried about the bro, the boat, bro. I'm worried about you hitting my head. And, um, apparently he didn't like that. And he told me, he told me I shouldn't be in the center of the channel. That's what he said. Well, you shouldn't be in the center of the channel. And I'm thinking now I'm not a certified boatist. I'm not a certified boatist with a flat brimmed hat. That's for sure. Um, you know, I cannot afford a $250,000 center console or whatever. I don't know what a scout boat costs. Can't afford it. Um, but I thought that vehicles that were vehicles or boats um, vessels that are under power are the giveaway boat when you're coming up on something like a sailboat or a kayak, something that is not powered. Now, y'all can correct me. I didn't research this um, because I just didn't. Uh, because I still think that if the, if the dude would have hit me and we would have gone to court, <laughs> I would have won. Um, but I don't need a head injury. So I got out of the way the best I could once I realized they were just going to plow through and do what the hell they wanted to do. 
uh, and didn't care. And there's children, lots of kids on this thing. I mean, we almost hit people in the kayak sometimes because there's a lot of current and stuff. And so you'll get pulled one way or the other, right? And and so we have to be really careful even in a kayak that you don't run over swimmers and kids swimming in the river and stuff because it's just that's what it is. I imagine that this center console, if he's done that to me, that he's doing this to others. But I guess, you know, the flat-brimmed hat kind of says it all. But y'all let me know is, uh, and by the way, nothing against flat-brimmed hats. Like if you're a, a, a cholo in California, flat-brimmed hat all day long, bro. It's for you. It makes sense but not a white guy that looks like he sells used cars with 18% body fat at, at 45 years old. No, no flat brimmed hat, bro. Put a curve in it. Be cool. Be nice. He stared me down too. After, after I said, I was worried about more about him busting my head, bro. He like stared me down. I could see in the corner of my eye, just waiting for me to say something, but I'm like, no, I don't need to, <laughs> I don't need to have some dude go off and beat my rear end <laughs> in the middle of the river, you know, just to make a point. I don't need to make a point. I mean, he's going to be an asshole for the rest of his life. I don't have to be. So anyway, fun story, but I do recommend other than that, those of you that come down here, WikiWatchy is really cool. Getting an Airbnb on the little canals there is super neat. There's, it's a, it's a getaway. It's definitely old Florida feel. And a lot of WikiWatchy has a state park around it. So when you are kayaking through, it's just native wildland and stuff. It's really cool. And there's great places to stop off and just sit in the water where it is like four inches deep and just sit there and hang out and play a little music, have a little sippy sip. It's it's a, it's a nice time. So if you're somebody coming down and you're going to be um, in Hernando County, which is north of Tampa Bay, where I live by about an hour, so not too far. And um, what a beautiful place. There's a lot going on over there. It's really built up over the years, too, since I was there as a kid. And uh, I know a lot of the locals don't like that. But uh, yeah, for those of you wanting to get a little cool old Florida getaway, I definitely recommend you check out Wikiwachi. All right, so the next thing I want to talk about is something coming up on the channel that I'm super excited about. I don't know uh, if all of you will remember this or not, but I think it was three or four years ago, I took some St. Augustine grass plugs. Now, just so you guys know, in the South, we don't seed. Now, I know I've tried to seed my Bahia grass project, which, by the way, we have growth already. I'm just going to say, I was with Jason yesterday. We met over at the Moose Lodge over there on the island and uh, had a couple two tree bears, and uh, he was showing me some pictures of uh of the the Baha'i already coming in but in in general for the most part we don't seed in the south just take it that way now I'm going to break the rules you can call me out you seeded Baha'i yes and you're going to see the results but for the most part it's better not to seed and there's reasons why and I can go into that in another video in fact I'll do a whole podcast here on seed coming up for everybody but what we do rather if, if you're going to fix an area really you just sod and that is because if you go by St. Augustine Floritam which is what is sold you know, in 90% of the places here, it's going to blend in with your current St. Augustine Floritam. It's not going to have a problem um, in time. So you can't necessarily do that with sod up north with cool season grasses, right? Because all of them are different mixes depending where you live. Some have more Kentucky bluegrass. There's a lot of varieties in Kentucky bluegrass that are different. Um, there are different colors, the same with fescues nowadays. And so it, it's harder to, to sod patch one small spot in a cool season lawn. So um, usually you have to end up seeding or whatever, and the seed gets mixed throughout or, or whatever to help blend in. But what am I doing? I'm rambling. 
in the South, we use plugs. Plugs are basically, they look like a little cupcake, and um, there's it's dirt in the bottom that there's roots in, and then on top is a little tuft of grass, and you plant that in the ground. And because our grass is spread with rhizomes and stolons aggressively, uh, I'm not talking about those of you up north with Kentucky bluegrass. Yes, that is rhizonomous, but those are not super aggressive. Not like St. Augustine grass that grows a few inches in a couple of weeks sideways with stolons, right? Okay, so we plant plugs. Well, so what you can do with plugs is you can put them in bare areas, bare spots, and then they'll spread out and fill the lawn in, or you can sod. Okay, what I did with the so- with these uh, plugs uh, a couple years ago is I got St. Augustine grass plugs, and I pant- planted them in pots that were just sand. The same old scary sand that I recommend that you all level your lawns with, you know, like play sand or um, uh, paver sand. It's the scariest sand. It's the one that... Uh, that People tremble in fear when you mention it because they're afraid that if even the smallest amount of this sand gets in the lawn, it's going to immediately turn your lawn to concrete. Even though those of you up north who have clay soil, your lawn is already as hard as concrete. Apparently putting sand on it will make that concrete harder. So either way, I digress. (laughs) That's the sand. I planted these plugs in that sand. And the reason I did that is because it's zero nutritional value. It also allows roots to grow deep fast there's really because sand is loose and so it just it it, it, there's no impediment and so I planted the St. Augustine grass plugs in the sand pots and then I uh, I had a control that was just going to be watered and then I had I don't I don't remember how many other ones I did four or five I did RGS in one which is root growth stimulant which is humic and kelp and the kelp's a big thing I did hydrotain I did uh, malorganite which I basically over fertilized that by putting a giant pat of malorganite underneath the plug and the and the roots couldn't go through the malorganite because it was just this cow patty of malorganite. So that was not good. I don't know what else I used, but either way, I did some some experiments. And then after a few weeks, I dug them up and we looked at the root mass. And in, in the St. Augustine grass, the root mass was, it was wild. It was really cool looking. It was just giant um, combobulation of roots. It was really cool. And we were able to see like certain products that did increase the root mass. And so it was a cool little experiment. And I haven't done that again for a long time. So I did it this time. And I think it's been three weeks since I planted them now. I did zoysia this time. Now it's not as aggressive as far as rooting. It's got, um, I believe it's going to have thinner roots from what I can tell. Cause I've planted a couple of controls along the way to see how they do. Cause I didn't know if I need to leave them for three weeks or four weeks or what, right. In order to see enough growth. So I've planted a few controls along the way and I've been digging that are just water only. And I've been digging those up and just seeing what the roots look like in those. And I'm finally at the point now where the controls or, or the test ones that I've had to the side, they're getting enough roots that I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, that means everything else should have even more, enough to make a good video. So I think it's been like three weeks. And up on the table that you're going to see, I actually still have a control up there that has not been dug up, that's been only water. And then I did uh, one pot, one zoysia pl- uh, plug that got humic 12 only. Now, I don't necessarily, I'm just kind of making some um, some predictions here because we're going to dig these up next week. I don't think the humic is going to do much more for the roots because humic is more of a chelator. It's more designed to release nutrients that are already in the soil, um, to release those nutrients. That's what's a chelator, right? Chelation is the process of making something available, right? If you take um, iron supplements, uh, if you're told to take iron supplements in your diet, those will be chelated iron so they can get into your system. Otherwise, it just goes through and and it doesn't dissolve, right? Or doesn't, doesn't pass, or it does pass. So chelation is what humic does. Well, there's nothing in the sand to be chelated out. So I don't think it's going to do anything. That's my, you know, 
That's my my um, prediction. Now, the other thing humic does is it adds organic material to your lawn. That's important. But in, in this process here, we don't care about that because I'm not fertilizing on top. The only time I care about adding more organic material to the soil is if I'm going to be applying other things. That organic material in the soil helps to hold those things, including moisture and everything else. So maybe there's a moisture benefit. Maybe adding the humic, adding the organic material to that sand helps to retain moisture, which then obviously helps for more roots. I don't know. One thing is for sure, we have been getting enough rain off and on that I have not had to water them but once. Uh, and that was in the very beginning. I watered them like two days later because it was dry, and then I just haven't touched them. But they've gotten enough rain that they haven't needed um, anything more. So, you know, I don't know. But I just don't think the humic will do anything. It's more of a strategy for an existing lawn, not a brand-new lawn planted in sand. <laughs> Uh, the other thing is, I don't know if the one little application, it's three ounces per thousand. Then I poured, I think 16 ounces of that mix on it. I don't, I don't even know if that's enough to make a difference, but we'll see. All right. So then the, the next pot. So I have one pot that's water only. I have another one that's humic 12 only. Then I have the next one that is CK. CK is the, uh, or the way John Perry pronounced it is a seek. And, uh, it's just, um, concentrated sea kelp. So small amount of that, put that in one of the pots. I do believe that my prediction is there is I am going to see some good root growth from that. I'm going to see some excellent results. I should see more roots or deeper roots or thicker roots or more root mass. I should see that from that sea kelp application of CK. That's my prediction. The next one, the next one is RGS. That's root growth stimulant. Now root, now RGS is essentially humic 12 plus CK in one. Now, I haven't done the math on the application rates in that and how those equate, um, but the RGS pot uh, went down. It's used three ounces and a gallon of water, and then I poured 16 ounces of the mix on that pot. So that's RGS. I do predict that one will do something, not because of the humic, but because, again, of the sea kelp. So in reality, um, if all things are being the same with application rates, the CK and the RGS, my prediction would be that they would both have about the same type of root mass and growth. Okay, which would still be more than the humic by itself and more than the water only by itself. Okay, the next one, the next one in line I did is got the green pop. That's the Green County product. I want to look this up real quick just to make sure that I don't say anything wrong. Green pop is the starter fertilizer. So this is the only one in the whole batch that has um, starter fertilizer in it. So that or any kind of fertilizer actually. So let me pull up the label here to green pop just so I can tell you what's in it because I think it's pretty cool to um, just to kind of compare these things and again make some predictions. And in this one I will say that I have a little bit of an advantage because I can see the top growth which we'll talk about. So uh, green pop 16 21-2, 16% nitrogen, 21% phosphorus. That's what's really going to be the driver of roots and then 2% potassium. Um, so 16% nitrogen and again, that 21% FOSS, that's really, that's the, that's the one where that I'm thinking is going to make the biggest difference. It also has 1% sea kelp. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to use this is because not only do we have fertilizer with the phosphorus, cause that's the one, excuse me, that's the one that does the roots. We also have that sea kelp. Now it's 1% concentrated. Um, I actually did put a pretty good dose. I actually was afraid I might've over fertilized it. So um, you'll have to watch the video. It's well, it's 15 ounces per thousand square feet. So I put 15 ounces in a gallon of water, and then I took 16 ounces of the mix and poured that in, which is way too much. That should have covered uh, like I don't know, maybe 250 square feet, and I put it in one little pot. So, but it didn't kill anything. Nothing died. One thing that's interesting is I can see for sure 
in the starter fruit one is that the top growth is darker green, which you would expect, right? Because it's got some fertilizer. There is nothing in the in the sand, so it's darker green. Uh, that's one thing I can see now. So other than that, though, we should see more roots. And so I'm going to say that the 1621-2 green pop with the sea kelp, that should have denser roots, um, more root production, or maybe deeper, whatever, more root mass. It should have more than the CK alone. It should have more, all the previous ones, basically, and more than the RGS. That is my prediction. So that's the only one that had fertilizer. Okay, now the next one we did, the next pot I did, is uh, hydrotane. Now, the reason I did that is because in the there's no fertilizer in hydrotane. There's no sea kelp. It is a, a, a humectant. It is a product that gets in and around the grass roots and draws moisture to them. You can see uh, my friend Rick has done this experiment before where he puts some of the granulated hydrotane crystals under a microscope and he blows his breath on them and you can see them turn to liquid because it's pulling the moisture from his breath. That is the best way to illustrate what hydrotane can do. I actually have a video on the, my channel, the Lawn Care Nut, where I showed how to apply hydrotane. And then I showed the potted plant experiment, which is the one I like to do, which didn't go as well as normal because I got potted plants that were pot bound to start with. So, but you can still see the difference. But back to it, hydrotane, all it is is a moisture manager. It just pulls the moisture in. I know some some people have said that you can use dish soap as a replacement. That is actually untrue. Dish, dish soap is a surfactant and it can also help things to penetrate, but it doesn't hang around. It doesn't stay there. Um, for 90 days, you know, so little different thing there. Um, however, you can put the two together for sure. All right, so back to it, hydrotain only. Now, the reason I did that is because I did hydrotain only when I did the St. Augustine ones, and it was one of the best results. I think RGS came in one, number one, but hydrotain was very close second. And I was like, why? Why would the hydrotain one have denser roots like that? And the only thing I can figure is, is that whatever water is there, the hydrotain is pulling it all. That's like bringing every bit of it in. So those plants are getting more water. That's my thought. And then the third one we did, or the final one, not the third, the final pot I did is um, foreplay. Now, I wanted to try that one because foreplay has hydrotain in it. It has, um, um, man, I'm drawing a blank, hydrotain in it. It has um, humic in it. It has sea kelp in it. And it has a non-ionic surfactant in it, which is a penetrant. So it's got all of those things. That, that's the dry spot repair thing, right? That's what you spray in dry spots to help drive the roots deeper and deeper and deeper, which is supposed to help with dry spots. And uh, we've seen some results. There's a guy in the Facebook group that that did like some pictures over time, and you can see where he sprayed his dry spots with the with the um, with with the foreplay, and it got better. It's really cool to see. He's in our Facebook group. So. Um, I wanted to see what that would do just because, I mean, hydrotain did something cool. So I wanted to see this because it's got the sea kelp. That's the main reason why is it's got the sea kelp with it. So that is something that's coming up. We're going to dig those up um, maybe Tuesday, but for sure Wednesday and try to get that video all locked and loaded now. So I just want to kind of let you know that's a, that's a fun one. That's something that I enjoy doing, doing some experiments and just showing uh, what kind of different result you get with uh, root mass uh, using some of these different products. All right, y'all. So I'm going to have a little fun now. I uh, I don't do this very often, but uh, sometimes I get some people that like to act like critics towards me and uh, they make me laugh. They make me smile. So <laughs> I run, I'm going to share a little dis, a little back and forth I had with a guy in one of my ads. It's funny. People, people like to comment on my Facebook ads and I appreciate it actually when they do, because 
when someone comments on a Facebook ad, it's typically really them. It's not an anonymous person because Facebook, it's known, it's you, right? So I tend to take those comments a little more seriously as far as having fun with them or answering them. Like sometimes when I get criticized by people or whatever on my ads, which again is strange to me that you're going to criticize me on my paid ads, but it is what it is. I guess it's because we push them in front of people so they feel entitled. I get it. It's fine. It's okay, by the way. That helps the ads and it makes you see more of my stuff. So if you're going to be angry at me and leave a comment on my ad, just realize that Facebook's going to think that you want to see more of my ads. So you're actually going to get more of me in your face if you do that, <laughs> which is fine. Um, but anyway, so I also t noticed that a lot of these happen overnight on weekends. So I sometimes think people are drinking, but back to it. This is a fun one. And none of this is, is happening with this guy. He just a know it all. And I'm going to say that his name is Judge Reinhold. I'm not going to share his real name because, you know, again, I don't want to embarrass him. Even though he left this these comments on my public ads that are now shown to thousands of people a day, right? Because of reaching frequency. I don't think he realizes that. But um, yeah, I'm not going to share his name. We'll call him Judge Reinhold, who is one of the best actors from the 80s that uh, if you don't know about, Google him and you'll see like, dude, this guy was in every movie. So, uh, all right. So I've got an ad. And if we're, if you're watching this on YouTube, I'll show you a screenshot of the ad. But it's basically a picture of me pushing an earthway spreader. It's actually at the church project, the church lawn in Northwest Indiana. Cause when we went up there, that's one of the project lawns. Well, part of what I did was take pictures for these ads, right? Because we wanted to be able to show that, uh, we have a cool season ebook. And so here I am working on some cool season lawns. See, makes sense. You want your ads to all kind of have carry a message. So in this picture, it's me pushing an earthway spreader, which the brand doesn't matter, but you guys can just picture it. And I'm right on the edge of the grass. So I've got one tire that is about 75% on the actual sidewalk. And then the rest of the spreader is in the lawn. And I'm pushing down and fertilizing, right? You can see a little bit of fertilizer spraying out. And um, what that is, is I'm doing what's called a trim pass. And you guys know that, right? You got to put one, one wheel right as close to the edge as you can. And then one wheel's in the lawn. That's your trim pass, right? We have an edge guard. We've talked about that. Even from back from one of my earliest videos, I showed you how to make your own edge guard. But that's not what we're going to talk about here because this is different. So with the Earthway, it's called side spread control, and it actually cuts the rate. It actually cuts the drop rate properly so that you get a nice trim pass. And then on your second pass, you still throw back to the wheel tracks of the previous pass. That's your second pass. Just so you guys know, when you fertilize the way I talk about, where you throw back to the wheel tracks of the previous pass, each area is actually getting covered twice. That's why you can't do a test if you want to test a product. You can't just run it, at least one of mine, you can't run it straight down in one pass and walk away and say, well, that's I'm going to test it now. No, because there's overlap that you're missing. you got to make at least two passes. But you can see the, the spreader. I'm pushing it. There's fertilizer coming out. It's All the fertilizer you can see is over the green. It doesn't. You can't see anything spraying out into the, into the sidewalk. But I am right on the edge. And as you guys know that have done it, that have fertilized before with a spreader that has an edge guard, some some of the prills do get on the sidewalk. It's going to happen. I've never made an application ever in my life where I didn't get uh, some pellets onto the street or the sidewalk. Because if, I, if that was the case, then I would have pale edges. But anyway, that's the picture that you can see. I assure you I'm doing everything right. How is the right way to do it, which is to use an edge guard, this, pro this particular spreader cuts the rate properly. Everything is in line. This is a textbook proper still photo of me doing a trim pass. And there are, I don't know of any professional that would tell me I'm doing it wrong until this one. So this Judge Reinhold, he leaves a comment and he says this. This is his comment. 
Now, again, I'm advertising my ebook. This is an ad, okay? It's a picture. I just told you what the picture is. Here's the, I'll just tell you the, what the uh, ad copy is. It says, having the greenest lawn on the block will give you a sense of pride and lets your neighbors know who's the boss. With the Lawn Care Nuts Cool Season Turf Guide, I'll help you start dominating this year. Get it for just $14.99 before it increases to $49.99. Okay, typical ad. I'm selling my ebook. I've been selling my ebook now since, man, I don't know. <laughs> I asked Josh how many we sold. I thought it was maybe only like 10,000, but I think it's more than that. I think it's somewhere around 50,000 now. Um, but it's my ebook. It's my step-by-step where I train you. Um, and, and again, it's helped a lot of people. Agree with it or not, it's helped thousands of people uh, have the confidence to take care of their lawn and get good results. So uh, I guess I'll sponsor myself for this part of the video. But that's the ad. And then we have it here. Click here. You can learn more. You can buy the book. Download. Blah, blah, blah. Right? That's a Facebook ad. It's, it's how things are done now. When you own a business, you run ads, okay? Or you can, and I do. All right, so here's what uh, Judge Reinhold leaves. And uh, he's left so many comments now that he's actually a top fan of the lawn care nut. <laughs> All right, so Judge Reinhold says, this guy's really just spreading furt on the sidewalk? That's, I'm, I'm giving it some, uh, some flair because you understand. So he, because he doesn't type uh, in complete sentences all the time, but he's basically saying, his comment is, this guy's just spreading furt on the sidewalk? So he's looking at my picture and he's saying that I'm throwing furt on the sidewalk. So I respond and I say to him, I said, uh, uh, dear Judge Reinhold, that spreader has an edge guard that is called side spread control and it shuts off half the flow. So you get a nice app along sidewalks like this. Most quality spreaders have a similar option. Judge Reinhold comes back. Again, this is on my paid Facebook ad. We're having this thread conversation. It's great. Judge Reinhold says, I'm familiar. Even with the guard down, those spreaders still throw past the wheel. His wheel is on the pavement. Well, now he doesn't realize he's talking to me, apparently, because he says his wheel instead of your wheel. But he's saying that my wheel is on the pavement. And it is. It's about 75% on the pavement. Because no one is perfect. If you're trying to hug that edge, um, especially when you have a full bucket, and this is one of the larger hoppers, and this is, I have just started, so I've got 45 pounds of furt in there. That's a heavy bucket. You're going to... Uh, fall off the edge. At least I am. Maybe Judge Reinhold is perfect. Maybe he's the baby Jesus of lawn care. But yes, he is correct. I do have 75% of one wheel on the pavement. So I came back and I said, sure, no one is perfect. So I use a blower when I'm done to put everything in its place. That's another step that I teach DIYers. Do you have a better solution? And if so, I'm happy to learn something new. So I'm saying, hey, man, I, I've, this is how I do it. Sure, I'm not going to be perfect. I use a blower to push everything back to the lawn, to the edges, right? And if you have a better solution, let me know. Well, Judge Reinhold, he does have a better solution. He says, guard down further away from pavement with spreader. Hand spread the edges with a plastic cup. Much less overspray. More accurate coverage. No buildup around edges from blowing excess granules on the pavement much less wasted, stuck to the sidewalk and crushed up. Okay, so Judge, there's a lot wrong here, Mr. Reinhold, a lot. First, what he's saying is he's saying, keep the guard down like I have it, but get further away from the edge of the pavement with the spreader. So I'm still going to make a trim pass, but instead of hugging the edge, I'm going to go further in. Now, he doesn't tell me how far in. I don't know if it's six inches or eight. We'll say it's six inches, right? Okay, so I'm going to move six inches, and I still have my my edge guard down, and I'm going to make my trim pass that way. Then I'm going to hand spread the six-inch edge with a plastic cup. That right there, I, I, I don't, I, if I was to measure the edges at my property, I have, I must have 500 linear feet 
of edges, when you take all of the outline of the street in the property and my sidewalks and my driveway, all of the edges that border any kind of driveway or sidewalk or street has got to be 250 to 300 linear feet. How many times are you going to have to fill the cup or how big of a plastic cup do you have? Maybe the size of a spreader, Judge Reinhold? I, I mean, how are you, I mean, how many times are you filling up the plastic cup, bro? And, and are you poking holes in the bottom of it or are you just, are you just sprinkling it from the top and how are you measuring? He tells me that's much less overspray. I would say it's much less overspread, okay, but we won't hold you to technical terms there. And then he says it's more accurate coverage. I'm going to call you out on that one because I think that's total bullshit. He also says no buildup around edges from blowing excess granules on the pavement. So what he's saying there is the way I do it, how some of the granules get on the sidewalk, that that causes excess buildup. But it doesn't because it's not like I'm putting pounds of, and pounds and pounds. It's a few granules here and there, bro. It's not that many. Now, maybe you are doing something different and you're throwing a lot more. But I, I, I don't throw that many that it causes a major buildup. Unless I want it to. Like with pre-emergence, sometimes I do. And then I blow it in the, in the edges. So I will say that I've done that. But he says that his way, there's no excess granules on the pavement. Much less wasted that gets stuck to the sidewalk and crushed up. Well, here's the thing, Judge Reinhold. If you blow the stuff off the sidewalk, then it doesn't get crushed up. All right. I broke you down there, bud. But okay. And we still don't know who this guy is, but he's telling me. Now, in the comments, I was kind to him. I just gave you all the things that were wrong with his response. But my actual response here um, on Facebook was this. Judge Reinhold, I'm not so sure I could be accurate applying granular furt with a plastic cup. My skill level isn't quite there, but thanks for the tip nonetheless. So that's how I responded to him on Facebook. Much kinder than I just gave you, right? But I just felt like breaking that down. So then he comes back and he says, he, he says to me, just the tip, not sure you're accurate blowing excess off the driveway either. And you know what? You're right. I'm not super accurate blowing excess off the driveway, but it's the best way that we have these days. It's the best way that we have to spray granular for I asked you for a better way, and I'm, I'm sorry, Judge Reinhold, your, your stupid red solo cup idea is not a good idea. <laughs> it's not. So anyway, um, and then someone else came on a little bit later and, and called the guy a know-it-all, always a know-it-all in the group, and he responded again, Judge Reinhold did, and he said, I do this for a living. It's disgusting to me to see these jobs done improperly. It's an acute observation. I notice these things. So Judge Reinhold now says that the way that I fertilize is done improperly and that his way of using a plastic cup, a red solo cup, to do 300 linear feet of edges with granular fertilizer, he says that's the right way, and he is good at making acute observations. In fact, I've disgusted him because I do things with a spreader and an edge guard and a blower. So I, I don't know. So I, I responded one more time, and I'm just going to tell you why I know that uh, Judge Reinhold here is not in business, or if he is, he has a perpetually small business. But my final uh, response to him was, so, um, so you do this for a living, and you use a plastic cup to spread fur on the edges? The reason I ask is that I also make a living doing this, and I have since 1998. I have never seen a professional use a plastic cup to apply furt to a lawn. You literally are the only one. So Judge Reinhold, let me just say something to you, buddy. There is, there is uh, maybe you think your way is perfect, but I can tell you that you do not have more than a one-person business if you are spreading edges with a cup, and that is because if you tried to teach lawn technicians to use a plastic cup to spread 300 feet of linear feet 
of edges. How many times do they have to run back to the truck to rescoop it? And how much is that going to add to your labor cost, my bro? I mean, you're going to add, what, 15 minutes to each stop? Um, if you did 10 stops in a day, that's 150 minutes of lost production time, broski. And that's assuming you have freaking 10 house pulls on every street. <laughs> so I, I realize that some of y'all, y'all think that they're, they're, this reminds me of the people that want to buy every chemical. I see this a lot too with lawn, lawn professionals. They want to buy like every single chemical so they can cure every single lawn problem. I'm like you can do that, but you're, you're going to be a perpetually small business. You're just not going to grow profitably enough. You're not going to get gain enough profit to grow. There's always like got to be a balance. This goes for any of you that are professional lawn care folks. And I don't talk to y'all much, but I will on here because I know a lot about business. Um, in fact, even my critics will say, well, they, they, they say I'm a good marketer, but what they're really saying is I'm a good business person because I've grown a much larger business than them. That's what they're really saying. Um, but there's, there's got to be a balance in everything you do. So I worked for True Green, and you could criticize True Green for a lot of things. People criticize me for working there, but, but I didn't adopt everything that I learned, learned at True Green. I actually took a lot of what I learned there and did the opposite. Because that's how you you grow and you you expand your knowledge and you expand yourself and your wisdom and you and you just get better at things. Is every place that you work or every person you work with or come in contact with, you take good and bad from them. And sometimes the bad helps you more than the good. And with in the case of True Green, it did. True Green was about get it through, get out, get quick, get that lawn done as quick as you can, and get out of there. Right. And, and if, if people had problems on their lawn that were outside the basic program, so we had a basic program that, that every lawn got the same exact vert all the time. Um, we had one weed control that we would use at different times of the year. I mean, there was like three weed controls we used, but in the spring, we only used Escalade 2, and in the summer, we only used Quincep. You, didn't ha you couldn't, if you had other problems, you couldn't, you couldn't use those. Now, this was a few years ago, so maybe technology's gotten better and things have gotten cheaper. But back then, no. If 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 you're in the summer and you have Quincep and somebody's got a problem with bent grass, we just tell them they have to live with the bent grass. I'm sorry, we don't we don't carry tenacity. We just don't do it. Right? That's True Green. Why? Because they're set up to make money and to have all these extra chemicals. That means now you got to have what? What are you gonna? Where are you gonna mix that? An extra hand can? Um, who's gonna manage that? That's got to be labeled. There's a whole thing that goes into adding a chemical. It's not just well, we got this extra chemical now. When you have a fleet, when you have 30 trucks on the road, there's a lot that goes into that, right? And then and then there's the the labor that's added to it. If a guy has to pull two hand cans rather than being able to spray everything from walking the lawn once, every time the guy has to walk the lawn again, it takes away productivity. It has a cost to labor, and that takes away profitability. Now, I think True Green is too far that way. I think they should do some things that are more specialized. I think they should allow that. But then again, sometimes the people that they hire aren't, aren't, don't stick around long enough to develop the skill level to be able to make that decision. So there's that challenge, right? That's a challenge with a big business. So True Green becomes what it is. It fits into its niche. It's in and out. We'll get you done quick. We're not going to do anything special. But if your lawn already looks fairly good, we'll keep it looking fairly good. And we will definitely be able to kill most of the weeds. And if you have bent grass, we're just going to act like you don't see it. Okay, then you have the other extreme on the other side where somebody has like 10 different chemicals and every lawn gets something different, some custom mix, some custom fertilizer, some this and that. I think that is super cool. But you are on the other extreme and you will never be able to grow that. And the number one reason is, is you won't be able to find employees that will be able to do what you do. It's, it's literally impossible. Okay, it's not going to happen. It's not scalable. That's the term. What True Green does is scalable, but it's super generic and it's not specialized, and it's not custom, and customers can end up feeling like a number rather than a person, a customer that wants to have 
uh, to feel like they're doing something special or better for the environment, you're not going to get that with True Green, okay? Even if they say it. It's, it doesn't come across. What you want to be, though, my friends, is somewhere in the middle. You want to be somewhere in the middle. You want to do the extra things. You want to have the ability to be custom for customers that that are are able to pay the premium for it and appreciate the fact that you're doing it and will invest with you in that, right? And that takes you being able to to sell them on the on the fact that what you're doing is better and why. Yes, you're all selling. You know, whether you make fun of me for selling or not, you're all selling something, right? It's just a matter of who's buying from you. But you're all selling something and you know it. So you're gonna have to do that. Or you can go the other route, which is the true green route, which is we make everything as easy as possible. And you don't even have to see us nowadays. You can sign up online, never know your technician's name. Just make sure the gate's unlocked, right? Scrape it through. There's there's a balance in everything. And that's where I think if you're a professional, you should try to fall in. And the way I would do it is, is I would say, all right, um, I'm going to take all the efficiencies that True Green has because that's what they're good at. They're good at efficiencies and profitability. And this is assuming you want to grow a business. A lot of you may want to stay small and just one man. Nothing wrong with that. But don't don't take swings. Don't punch up at the guy that is growing a big business. He just has a different goal than you do in life. But um, what I would do if I was starting a business is I would take all of the efficiencies that True Green has and I would get a really good generalized program that is maybe one or two or three steps better than what True Green is. So for example, in my program, if if I live in Florida here, and I don't know what True Green's program is here, but I would find out what their program is, or I'd find out whatever the other big competitor is in the area, whoever, Massey, whatever big company is, I'd find out what their program is, what they offer, and I would pick one or two or three things, three things that I would do better. So for example, if they're not putting iron in their program, I'd put iron in my program because I know it's going to give my customer a little bit better green, blue-green color, and I would use that in marketing. If they're not using biostimulants, I would add biostimulants and I would talk about how we improve the soil. Those are the things that I would do, right? I would do those extra things. I would find those two or three. They're called unique selling propositions or USPs. And every business has them. And so instead of being all true green and all fast or being all uh, single guy on my own with every single chemical and I look down on everybody else around me who doesn't have a PhD, be somewhere in the middle. Be that person in the middle, have a few good USPs, and build yourself a really good, scalable, and successful business. And as far as Judge Reinhold goes, buddy, I, I'm, I'm still interacting with you um, here on Facebook. I hope that uh, maybe maybe you'll want to have a discussion with me because, I, I mean, I know I've made fun of you here because you sound like you, you don't sound like someone that really knows what they're doing. But if you are, maybe we could have a discussion, bud. Maybe you can talk to me about this red solo cup idea and maybe i could use my marketing skills because even ask my critics i'm a good marketer so if you've got a way to sell plastic cups to the masses to fertilize edges i'm your guy i can make you a millionaire all right this is an interesting one that came up now this is bermuda grass and uh but it's gonna go i'm gonna go into talking about the heat and Kentucky bluegrass here in a minute, but I'm looking at a post here in our Facebook group, and I see this a lot this time of year, so I want to talk about it. Um, this is what uh, my guy says. He says, it has been over 115 degrees here in Mesa, Arizona. My Bermuda, my Bermuda lawn is looking like this. I have been watering every day for about 25 minutes each station. Any suggestions on what I can do to green it up and help the spots? So what I'm looking at is a, a Bermuda lawn that looks to be cut tall, definitely over two inches for sure, 
And overall, it's green, but there are a lot of brown spots. And those brown spots, when you look closely, you can see how they are following the pattern of his mowing. So it's not like lines of brown spots, but I can see as he's mowing in a line, I can see brown spots kind of patched through. And what this is, is he is cutting into the legs of his Bermuda. So what happens this time of year, this is the time of year when all the warm season grass is growing fast and you have to be mowing every three days. I'm telling you right now, or use a, a plant growth regulator. Not something I do. It's not the kind of chemical I've ever used or ever planned to use. I would rather you just mow. But you got to do something to keep up with it because what happens this time of year, because it's so aggressive and we are literally in the best growing time for all warm season turf and especially alpha Bermuda grass, is it grows tall, tall, tall. And what you get is if you look at the side of Bermuda grass, if you pick some from the from the uh, soil base and you pull it up, you're going to see brown legs like a tree trunk. And then on top, you're going to see tufts of green. And what happens is in in the spring when, when it's growing slower and you're mowing once a week or whatever you're doing every couple of days, you're fine, right? Because you're just staying up there in that green tuft at the top. But as the year goes on, the grass has to start, it's growing taller and taller, it's starting to get away from you a little bit. And then eventually what happens is it gets away from you so much that the legs grow taller and taller. And then you go to cut. And instead of cutting only up in the top where the green tufts are, you cut down into the legs and you see scalp spots. And what you think it is, is it's a watering problem, but it's not. You've cut into the legs of the Bermuda because it's gotten away from you. And by the way, you're not the only one. It happens to everyone. It happened to me in my zoysia. Now, it happened to me. It was revealed because of my, uh, I put a robot mower on there because it told me about millimeters and I couldn't translate that to, to, to inches properly and I scalped it. But either way, it's okay. That's what this is. What I'm looking at here with these brown spots is scalp spots. So I'm encouraging you that if you have Bermuda grass and you're starting to see brown spots show up, especially right after you mow, get down in there and look close. Look at the growth nature of your grass. Spread it apart and look down in underneath there and look at those legs that are underneath there. They're all brown and standing up. And in the brown areas, do you see any green tufts on top? If you don't, it means you cut into the legs. Now, it could be there's a low spot there that caused your mower to dip in. Um, there's a lot of reasons for it, but that's what happens. Now, you'll find there's a lot of folks that have Bermuda grass this time of year. They will scalp it. I have never done a summer scalp on my zoysia, um, and I, but, but I don't think it would be an issue. For sure, it's not an issue with... With uh, Bermuda grass, it's a way to reset it. It just gets ahead of you. It's it's so aggressive this time of year that it's going to get away from you unless you're using uh, plant growth regulator chemicals, like I said, which again, I don't know. That type of chemical, just the way it says, it, I just, it just, I don't know. It's not something I want to mess with. Um, the other thing is, is you can put it down and if you get disease, then you're stuck with the disease longer because the grass can't grow out. So you need a lot of you need a lot of positives going for you to use a PGR, a plant growth regulator. You need to make sure everything is in line first because if you make any mistakes or a scalp spot, it just won't grow out because the plant growth regulator won't let it. So you could be stuck with an ugly lawn for too long if you if you apply a PGR at the incorrect time or when something else is going on. But um, the long and the short of it is if you want to scalp your Bermuda, you could do it here in the summer. It's perfect right now, beginning of August. It's got plenty of growing season left. Scalp it down, hammer it with some flagship and uh, it'll grow right back in. But now you've just reset the height. You just cut all those legs off and boop, reset. Exactly the same thing we do with a spring scalp. Literally the same thing. Um, I don't talk about it much in my programs because, again, I don't have the most experience with Bermuda that way, but I see thousands of Bermuda lawns here in the in the groups and work with people uh, personally and have worked with some Bermuda here and there just a little bit. Um, but it's very similar to Zoysia, which I do work with. So 
doing that scalp right now, nothing wrong with that. Probably a good practice uh, for you to get into. Now, one of the things I did want to talk about that, that kind of relates here, just because he talks about how he's in Mesa, Arizona, it's 115 degrees. Again, his issue was nothing to do with watering. His issue is those is that scalping. But I wanted to talk about one thing because that I noticed a few years ago. So, um, and it's not Arizona, it's Utah. When I went to Salt Lake a couple years ago for a, a meeting, we stayed in Salt Lake, and I took a walk around, and I noticed that some of the most beautiful Kentucky bluegrass lawns, um, and I'm not talking about in homes. I'm talking about at hotels, public places, uh, stores. I mean, just beautiful. And we were there in, in late July, so it was hot. Uh, so let's see. That's why I brought this up. It came up on my time, whatever, time hop or whatever they call it. Uh, so I was, And I was reminded of that trip. So right now, um, Salt Lake today is at 11 a.m. is 102 degrees. Holy cow. Looks like they're going into a cooling phase, though, coming up. 81, 85 next week. You guys are into a cooling phase. But they're well over, this time of year, normally in Salt Lake, it is over 100 degrees almost every day. But they have the most beautiful Kentucky bluegrass. How do they do that? How are they able to grow this beautiful Kentucky bluegrass in areas where it gets well over 100 degrees? And the answer is because the humidity is super low. The humidity right now on a 102-degree day is only 25%. To give you an idea, the humidity in Florida is 76%, 75%. It's only 25%. What you have to realize is, is when it comes to cool season lawns, or really any lawn, but especially cool season lawns, it's not always the heat. I know I talk about the heat the most because that's what you guys can, can relate to the most, but it's actually heat plus humidity. When you have higher humidity and heat, that's what burns literally just melts cool season lawn, especially Kentucky bluegrass over a hundred degrees with, you know, 60, 70% humidity, just burns it to the ground, just melts it right out. It's the humidity. I don't know why that is. I don't know if it keeps it from transpiring or breathing or if it just suffocates it. Like, you know, when you're outside on a humid day, you feel like you're being suffocated, right? Maybe it does that to the grass. I don't know. But I just wanted to say that for those of you that are concerned about your Kentucky bluegrass, because people ask all the time if they can grow Kentucky bluegrass in certain places, you can in Salt Lake at well over 100 degree temps. But you need to make sure that you have lower humidity. Now, that's why you guys struggle with disease and things across the Midwest, because you do have higher humidity in the summer. Now, it's not all day, every day, but it's enough that it does burn down that Kentucky bluegrass, especially when you guys start getting to 90 to 95 degrees. So just figured I'd mention that's something interesting to think about, but always take into consideration when you're thinking about heat and disease and things like that and the disease triangle and everything else that goes along with it and struggling grass and my grass is struggling in the heat and the sun. Think about the humidity as well. All right, here's another one that came up. A lot of people will ask what they can use in their beds to kill weeds. Because again, this is the summertime, so weeds are growing in the flower beds and stuff. And just so you guys know, I typically will just use regular old glyphosate. Um, I, I don't mix my own for that. I guess I do sometimes. 41% glyphosate, three ounces per thousand, three ounces per gallon. I'll mix it. But lately, I've just been going to Lowe's or Home Depot or Ace, and I just buy a ready-to-use, ready to which is a pre-mixed gallon of of non-selective herbicide, and typically the brand name on that is Roundup, and it's got uh, some different things in it, which we're going to talk about, but I just spot spray the weeds underneath my bushes. You don't have to worry about it translocating. Just spot spray the weeds. It'll kill them. Uh, you don't have to mix anything, so it's just nice using that RTU, ready-to-use 
um, non-selective herbicide. You want to look get weed and grass killer, something like that, right? Weed and grass killers, what you're looking for, and Roundup is typically the brand. However, there are some times when uh, we have some weeds that the, the Roundup that is just going to be glyphosate won't kill. So we're going to go over that real quick. I've mentioned this earlier in the year in a video, but we'll talk about it now real fast because it's interesting. So Roundup, I'm looking at, uh, there. I guess what I'm getting at is there are multiple uh, formulations of Roundup. Roundup is a brand. You guys think of Roundup as being just glyphosate or just something that kills everything, but there are multiple formulations of that. Now they've, I don't, I, 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 I read somewhere Roundup might be going away. I don't know, or it could be glyphosate's going away, but whatever, that brand has just been destroyed. And, and I, I don't know why they keep trying to revive it. I think they just need to kill the brand. Um, because it has so much negative connotation with it. People don't understand, but there is actually a roundup for lawns. And I, I know because I make content about it because God forbid this billion dollar company make their own content about it, right? Gotta rely on me, some YouTuber to do it for free. <laughs> but I only do that because I don't really want to sell a lot of weed killers. So that's why I don't mind giving them the free the free uh, content. You're welcome, roundup, whoever owns that now. You're welcome. <laughs> Love supporting billion dollar corporations. But anyway, uh, Roundup for Lawns is a thing. Well, I'm not looking about Roundup for Lawns now. I'm talking about Roundup Weed and Grass Killer. It's a blue and white label. Blue and white. Put it on the screen if you're watching on YouTube. This is the one that most of you think about getting. And uh, I'll just tell you what's in it. Because there's going to be times when it's not going to kill everything. But this one has 2% glyphosate and 2% pelag pelargonic acid. I'm not really sure what pelargonic acid is, but it's something that helps with the glyphosate. That is typically what you think of when you think of Roundup is glyphosate. Now, one thing I'll point out, this is the RTU, so it's already mixed up. So when you look at 2% glyphosate, keep in mind that's a mixed product. When I buy 41% glyphosate at, at uh, a farm store or whatever, that's 41% glyphosate that's concentrated, but then I put three ounces of the concentrate in one gallon of water, and that dilutes it down. And I haven't done the math on it, but it's probably somewhere close to 2 to 4% glyphosate. So this will work fine on like most things. Is this RTU, ready-to-use, Roundup, weed and grass killer, spray that in your beds, it'll kill most things. However, there are some things that it won't kill. And this came up here in the post or in the group. Uh, so this guy says, hey, LCN, I hope you can help. My neighbor has a problem a problem with weeds in their garden. Um, their lawn person asked me what he could use to kill this. He has been weed eating, but it keeps coming back. He has used Roundup, but to no avail. I want him to kill it before it heads my way. Southwest Louisiana, St. Augustine Lawn. So, so it's kind of funny that the lawn person that's been spraying it asked my guy, my DIYer, what he could use. That's that's very, well, that's very interesting. Apparently, this particular lawn pro doesn't have a PhD. Um, so anyway, we're going to go in here. Now, what the weed is, I'll show you the picture if you're on on there. But um, um, let's see, the weed, hold on, I'm looking here. All right, so the weed is purslane. And I've never, that I know of, I don't know if I've come in contact with it or not. Um, I've heard of it before, but I, I, and I don't know. Apparently, purslane is one of those that, that glyphosate doesn't kill. Um, I've talked about that before with clover. Glyphosate won't kill clover. So apparently, purslane is one of those because this lawn guy has sprayed Roundup on it and it didn't die. And he's also been weed whacking it. And I guess he expected that would kill. I don't know. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I want you to try one of the different Roundup formulations and, and let you know there are other ones. So the one you want to try, if you have a problem weed, I have artillery fern. That's what I have here. These little ferns that grow everywhere, they do not die from glyphosate. But I found that this other mixture kills them. 
Um, and this other mixture, and again, this is for cracks, crevices, beds, not for lawns. This one is called Roundup Dual Action Weed and Grass Killer, plus four-month preventer. So I don't care about the prevention part. What I care more about is what's in it. And so I went through and looked at, uh, instead of just having the glyphosate, this one actually has, listen to this, it has triclopyr. Now, triclopyr is one that by itself can be applied to cool season lawns as a non-selective herbicide. Um, I don't think you can spray it in St. Augustine or any of those, but either way, it has triclopyr. That's a broadleaf weed killer. It's a group four. It's an auxin herbicide. It is a growth regulator. Now this, and, the, and again, I'm looking at this particular uh, formulation. It's like a, a silver color, uh, silver and silver and gold, silver and gold, silver and gold. It's an RTU, silver and gold is the color of the package, but always look at the active ingredients. So it's got triclopyr. The other thing it has are two group one um, herbicides. If I said fungicide earlier, sorry. So triclopyr is a group four herbicide, flauzofop and diquat. And diquat works really well. Those are group one. They are lipid synthesis inhibitors. So now, what? A, and I've talked about this before, what the different groups are, the classifications are, they are modes of action or how the product works. And in this case, a herbicide, it's going to kill something green. It's going to kill some sort of plant. That's what a herbicide is. Ide is, is murder and or kill, murder, death, kill. And, and herb, herb, besides being some dude's name, is a green thing. Herbicide, kill the green things. Triclopyr. Group four, oxen herbicide. We have two group ones, which are lipid synthesis inhibitors, flauzofop and diquat. And then we have a mazapic, which is a group two that is an ALS inhibitor or an amino acid inhibitor. So we have three different modes of action in this mixture that are going to go after those weeds. And so typically when you do that, when you get more modes of action, you should get a larger um, grouping of weeds or, or herbs that will die. It'll kill more things. That's basically the way to say that. So what I'm trying to get to is, is that when you have um, a weed like that and you're talking about the beds and you have ones that won't die, make sure you try a different Roundup formulation, one that's got some different active ingredients, and see if that works. And in this case, I, I'm pretty sure the Diquat is going to wipe out the, the purslane that this dude has. It definitely gets to the artillery fern that I have, and that's the mark, the uh, the formulation that I've been using. So long and the short of it is, if you want to have a little fun on a weekend, go to the Ace store, go to your Home Depot or whatever, uh, probably Home Depot, they'll carry a little bit more than Ace does, and just look at all the different formulations and see which one kind of works better for whatever it is that you're going after, and I think you'll get a little bit better results that way, and you'll save money too. y'all last little segment i want to do here is an important one now this is going to be talking about a way to get rid of bermuda grass in saint augustine and a couple other things this has been a scourge down here anybody that lives down here <clears throat> you know that pretty much every saint augustine grass lawn in florida and i'm assuming in texas and everywhere in between you're gonna have some bermuda grass but especially in florida i very rarely find a saint augustine lawn that doesn't have bermuda grass in it unless it is a a uh, provistalon, which then you can use glyphosate. But I want before we go there, let's talk about something. So in the past, what you'd have to do if you had too much Bermuda grass invading your St. Augustine grass, which I'll show you a picture of my lawn. I've got a spot in the front where I had grubs hit me a couple years ago, and I resodded the spots, but it was it 
the 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 probably the six weeks where those spots were weakened because of the grubs where I didn't take care of it right away. During that time where the it was in the summer and the spots were weakened because of the grubs, I didn't know what it was. I just thought I needed to water. I didn't follow my own rule and dig, and so I just watered them a lot. Well, the St. Augustine wasn't vigorous enough, and it allowed Bermuda to get into those areas. It opened up a hole in the wall is what it did. What was that show years ago where they had the ice wall or whatever it was? Game of Thrones. Yeah, you don't want a hole in the wall. Winter is coming. Because St. Augustine grass can do pretty well keeping Bermuda out for the most part. Not not forever, but it can do okay if you keep it thick. You can go for several years before the Bermuda really looks bad, I guess. It's a technical term, right? Really looks bad. But um, I've got a couple spots, again, that, that they got weak. They allow, Even though I resodded them, didn't matter. The Bermuda was already there. And now... Literally the whole spots Bermuda grass, you can see it, and it does not blend well with the St. Augustine grass. That's the problem. They don't play nice together. The blades of the St. Augustine grass are thick and juicy, like I like it, and the the Bermuda grass blades are thin, uh, and but both are beautiful. Now I will tell you, Bermuda is a much better um, uh, barefoot grass, just not even close. St. Augustine grass is crunchy. It's a terrible barefoot grass, right? So there's advantages to both, but they do not play nicely together. And so what we would, what you'd have to do, oh, by the way, the other part of my lawn is uh, Floritam. It's the original lawn that was there when I moved in. That's got uh, Bermuda throughout. It doesn't have any majorly huge patches. Maybe in the, towards the fall, there's a couple areas where the Bermuda kind of takes over, or maybe it's the spring. I don't know. But for the most part, I have Bermuda throughout. It doesn't show because as much uh, from the road or from anywhere else, and it doesn't really take away from the appeal or the aesthetic of the lawn, and that is because it's Floritam. Floritam grows so tall that um, after a mow within a day, it's grown enough that you can't see the Bermuda in there anyway. So most people live with it, like I have been. But what will happen is there'll be a point where it'll be too much. You won't want to deal with it anymore. It'll look bad, such as is happening in my main stage where my palmetto is, where the grub damage was. And so what you have to do is you basically just resod. That's what you do. And uh, so I just I would just need to go get I think it's like a maybe a thousand foot section so I need to go get for like four pallets three pallets of uh, of palmetto and and scrape it all up with a sod cutter and sod and that is a royal pain in the rear end. Um, running a sod cutter is terrible. There is nothing good about it, especially when you have a lawn that is as thick and juicy as mine. Uh, it is not easy. <clears throat> so it's just it's backbreaking work. Anyway, I don't want to have to do that. I'd probably have to hire it out. Then you have an expense, right? But that's all you could do. Now, again, I've talked about Scott's Pro Vista St. Augustine grass. It's glyphosate tolerant. Yes, that works. Okay, it does. Uh, but not everybody can get that. It's You can get it anywhere in Florida, but they can't get that in Texas or Louisiana or anywhere else. So I think you can get it in Texas now. Um, it's also just not an option for everybody. Some people, um, it might be more expensive than others. Even though in Florida, I think it's pretty much the same cost as everything else now, but Texas is probably still more a little more expensive. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why not everybody can get a hold of that. But um, that was your only choice. If you wanted to have a clean St. Augustine grass lawn, your only choice was that. Well, now there is a herbicide out that claims that when you mix it with another herbicide, you can kill Bermuda grass in St. Augustine grass. And we're going to look at that. But one thing I want to talk about before that is, is, is as I, because I'm going to get some and I've tested, I've already made a couple calls. Looks like most of the places where I'm able to get it from, they're not even going to have it till the fall. Um, if somebody from Syngenta is listening and you want me to make some content about recognition herbicide, is it called, or as Brett calls it recognition, (laughs) 
Brett calls it recognition herbicide. So we we might we've decided we might call it recognition and just get it to be pronounced that way instead of recognition. But it's recognition herbicide, recognition. And uh, when you mix it with Fusilade 2, which is another Syngenta product, it will uh, purport to get rid of the Bermuda grass and not harm the St. Augustine grass. So if you're from Syngenta and you want someone to do some tests that will put them on film for you, even though you're a billion-dollar company, <laughs> I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to give you some free content that you didn't earn. Now, I would do it because I am super interested because I know that my community is going to want to know because we have a huge a uh, bunch of people that have St. Augustine grass. Now there's some stuff with zoysia and uh, other things that it does too, but for for terms and purposes of me, I'm mostly interested in the fact that it can get rid of Bermuda and St. Augustine grass. Now, here's the thing about that. <clears throat> Before we measure or as we go or as I test it, again, I'm going to buy some. I've, I think it's very expensive, but I don't care. I'll buy it. I'll, I'll do it for the gram. <laughs> but um, what you got to think about is I guarantee you that no matter how good recognition plus fusillade, and we're going to read the label and everything here in a minute, no matter how good it works, the Bermuda is going to come back. That is a guaranteed fact, okay? You cannot kill Bermuda grass for long. It keeps coming back. It's a zombie grass, okay? It will continue to respawn. It just will, literally. So let's say you have a moderate infestation, how many apps, number one, is it going to take to get it out of there? And then number two, how long will it be before it comes back? And then does it, does it become economically feasible as well as practical to spot spray to keep the Bermuda out and at bay? Because it's going to come back, so you're going to have to keep spraying it. And that's that's with a lot of things. Same thing with bent grass up north. If you have bent grass in um, in a Kentucky bluegrass or, fall, or fescue lawn and you're using mesotrione or tenacity is the brand if you're using that to keep the bent grass out of the lawn it's going to come back the idea is you might have to do a lot of heavy spraying technical term there heavy spraying um full label rates right and following the repeat the reapplication instructions you might have to do that at first but then once you control it going forward in successive years you first get your turf stand thicker and thicker which is the number one thing you do and then as you do see the bent grass returning then you just control it with spot sprays right that's the deal so I'm hoping that this would be the same, but I don't know how that's going to be because of how aggressive Bermuda grass is and because of how entrenched it is already in the state of Florida. Like it's literally everywhere. So it's going to come back. It's going to respread, especially as it's pulled around on lawn equipment and stuff. It's nothing you can do about, but I'm just telling you lawn services that mow lawns, they're carrying stolens and, and rhizomes around and dropping them in places. It's not a knock on them. It's just a, a fact of the way the business works. So it's going to come back. <clears throat> it's going to get itself back in there. So that's where we look at the integrated pest management strategy that I like to follow, which integrated pest management, IPM says, we only use the ID, the hard control, in this case, recognition herbicide plus fusillade too. We only use the hard control when the uh, pest, in this case, Bermuda grass, has a negative effect on our primary crop, which our primary co crop is St. Augustine grass. So I'm at the point, in my um, palmetto St. Augustine grass that, yes, these areas are so large of Bermuda grass that's taken over, they don't look right anymore. It has affected the primary crop, okay? So, yes, I will use the hard control there. The rest of my lawn could go either way, okay? So that's the thing. I would already qualify, qualify to be at that point, but integrated pest management also says and looks at 
but how how uh, much chemical are you going to have to use to get rid of this, number one? And then how fast is a Bermuda grass going to return, and how fast will it rage, and how much chemical are you going to need to use for eternity? Because like I told you, the Bermuda grass is always going to come back. It's so entrenched in the state, you're not going to get rid of it. I don't care how much recognition herbicide plus Fusilade 2 you sell. You're not going to get rid of it, so the Bermuda is always going to come back, which means this is a chemical that will have to be used perpetually in perpetuity forever, okay? You have to think about that going forward because, again, your other option is to resod. So now integrated pest management says, well, then what I'm going to think about is, all right, I've had my, um, my palmetto in the ground now for four years um, because of, of, a, of a pest, grubs, the Bermuda's gotten in. I'm at the point where I have to resod, which I am. I'm at that point now. So that's four years. So let's say that you you decide the way things work for you, that if you wanted to keep a perfect St. Augustine grass lawn as long as you could, you'd need to resod every five years. Okay, so now what are my what are my costs or what are what am I going to weigh that against with the with the use of the of the chemical? Well, I've got uh, some labor cost, I've got sod cost, I've got time cost. I'll, you know, I've got am I going to do it myself? Then I got this pain I got to go through because I'm just telling you, using a sod cutter is pure hell, my friends. Okay, it's terrible, and you can't really do it by yourself. I I can't. Maybe some of you that are bigger than me, you can operate a sod cutter by yourself, but I can't. I need a guy in the front to help me pull and steer while I push. Okay, man. Okay, so you got to weigh that out. What's that pain you're willing to go through? Or are you going to hire it out? Then it's just an economic thing. Okay, uh, and a, and a slight inconvenience. So that's how you, that's how you'd weigh that out using the lens of integrated pest management. So um, I won't know what the how how good this works or how long it lasts i won't know that until i test it so i'm going to test it for y'all and uh, hopefully over the next years you know keep keep an eye on it now there are some other positives here that we want to look at with recognition herbicide so by itself <coughs> i've mentioned all, up until now using it to get rid of the bermuda grass but that requires some some additional steps <clears throat> this stuff um is good for other things i'm just going to read the website here all right. Control the usual suspects with powerful performance and excellent turf safety. Recognition herbicide helps control a tough lineup of broadleaf weeds and all major sedges. Hello. Okay. That's the first thing I want to point out. Currently, my strategy, I don't like to use, uh, what is it, image or what's whatever the burndown is that y'all use to get rid of sedges in St. Augustine grass. I don't like that one because it always damages my St. Augustine grass every single time. I prefer to use sedge hammer. Um, so uh, in the summer, my, my main weed control is Celsius. Celsius does not kill sedges, so I have to spike sedge hammer in. It's an additional chemical that I need to use, okay? In order to, and I have Kalinga really bad. It's a big problem in Florida, and I, and I don't know if Kalinga is as bad as wild Bermuda grass invading uh, Florida lawns. I don't think it is, but it's bad. In my area, it's in every lawn. You can see it. <coughs> so... This is a, a positive here. I could actually go from having to use two products in the summer to using only one if it gets sedges. So that's pretty cool. Uh, we're going to keep reading down here. Um, recognition herbicide. Rec recognition helps provide powerful control of more than 40 weeds, including all major sedges and kalingas, as well as broadleaf weeds, including dollar weed. Oh, another one. Clover. Oh, we've been talking about clover. All with unparalleled safety to St. Augustine grass, zoysia grass, kikuyu grass, and kikuyu grass. All right. Now... So far, it's telling me we could use it on St. Augustine, Zoysia, and Kikuyu. Um, recognition fe recognition features a proprietary safener called Met Metcamifen, 
which allows for broadcast applications. All right, so this was interesting. There is something that is called a safener. I have never heard of this, but this is apparently some sort of an additive or a product or a chemical. In its, in its word, it's the term of what it is, its use, its function, is it's, it acts as a safener. So what they're telling you is, is that it makes the recognition herbicide, it makes it safe by adding this metcamifen. In other words, my thought is if they didn't add the metcamifen, then this recognition herbicide would kill St. Augustine grass or harm it or ding it. But with this safener metcamifen added in, it like protects the St. Augustine grass and the zoysia grass. Um, it, it's like adding shields to it, like Star Wars shields, right? <laughs> From the Klingons, we put up the shields. Maybe it's a cloaking device, I don't know. But that's pretty cool. It's a safener. That's really interesting and something I want to learn more about. I've done a little bit of studies on it, but not enough to talk about yet. But it's one of those rabbit holes that I'm going down and reading about a safener. I've seen it. They, it seems like it's mostly mentioned with seed. Um, and so I don't know if safeners have been used in broadleaf weed control or not. Again, if you're from Syngenta and you want to come on the podcast and talk about this, that would be sweet. So the active ingredient is trifloxulfuron sodium. Trifloxulfuron sodium. That is the active ingredient um, in in the recognition herbicide. So again, haven't done much on that. Don't know what group it falls into or mode of action, but uh, going to do more research. And I don't even know if this stuff's available yet. We're, we're really preliminary here. So pretty cool though. Um, let's see. Oh, it did mention dollar weed. Again, another one that we have problems with. So here I've used um, Celsius on dollar weed works fine, but that's fine. If this works, it looks like it's going to re kind of, kind of replace the Celsius plus, um, Celsius plus, wow, I'm having like a Mitch McConnell moment. <laughs> uh, Sedgehammer. It will replace my Celsius plus, plus Sedgehammer um, application. Recognition seems like it could. Um, offers outstanding turf safety in St. Augustine grass, zoysia grass, buffalo grass, and kikuyu grass. I think buffalo grass is the same thing as St. Augustine grass. It's just the uh, Australian pronunciation. With the proprietary safener, metcamifen, turf safety broadens tank mix selections and the spectrum of weed control as well as allows for broadcast applications rather than making multiple spot treatments. All right, safens other herbicides in tank mixes. So it will also, the safener will work if you add in other um, other. Herbicides. So, for example, they say Recognition Plus Turflon Ester Ultra Specialty Herbicide helps provide faster broad-spectrum weed control in St. Augustine grass and zoysia grass, often with just one application. Um, here's the one. I, here's the other one. Recognition Plus Fusilade 2 Herbicide effectively removes common and hybrid Bermuda grass from established zoysia grass. Um, yeah, I thought there was one that was, was going to be for getting... Bermuda grass out of zoysia grass too, or out of uh, St. Augustine grass too. Broader spectrum control. Um, I need to find that. I'm going to keep looking. Hold on. I'm going to pause this for a second. Okay. So I have now gone to an article on their blog and it's from July 17, 2023. How to remove Bermuda grass from St. Augustine with recognition. Okay. So for some reason, it's not in the main marketing materials, but it is here because I knew I had read this. All right, so I'm just going to read this. The inability to control Bermuda grass infestations in St. Augustine grass turf has been a major challenge for lawn care operators. A solution for Bermuda grass control has remained elusive until now. All right, so let's see. Um, 
Recognition alone does not control Bermuda grass, but when tank mixed with Fusilade 2 herbicide at rates of up to 24 ounces per acre, the combination controls Bermuda grass without injuring St. Augustine grass. So this is, again, that safener that is in the recognition. It translates and also becomes a safener for the Fusilade because I'm pretty sure that Fusilade 2 is not used on St. Augustine grass. I'm trying to open up the... The label here. Let's see. I'm now in Fusilade 2 for control of grass, weeds, and landscape areas, roadsides, nurseries, greenhouses, flower beds, ground covers, interior scapes, parks, sports field, golf courses, commercial and residential areas. Yeah, it's Flausifop. Um, oh, here we go. Grass, weed control, and desirable turf grass. For the suppression and control, this is Fusilade 2 again. For the suppression and control of common Bermuda grass, hybrid Bermuda grass, and other grasses in zoysia, fine fescue, and tall fescue turf grass, in golf courses, residential, commercial, and public and industrial buildings, turf grass areas. Do not apply to tall fescue turf grass during the summer. And, okay, residential's in there. So it looks like it's it's used in zoysia, fine fescue, tall fescue to get rid of hybrid Bermuda grass. Okay, but see, yeah, you can't overspray zoysia grass. Applications should be made at a rate. All right. Yeah, it is definitely not for Bermuda grass, or uh, it is definitely not for... Um, it is definitely not for St. Augustine grass. So wild. I I should have done some more research here. But this is so... So what I'm saying is Fusilade 2 is definitely not safe to use in St. Augustine grass, turf grass. It will kill it. There is no doubt uh, about that. But when you mix it with the recognition that has this safener in there, the safener makes the Fusilade 2 safe for the uh, St. Augustine grass application. And because the Fusilade 2 kills... Bermuda grass, you get that effect. That is so interesting. Really, really interesting. And I'm assuming that the um, the recognition, I'm assuming it also um, by itself will kill Bermuda grass and, and the safener helps there as well. So interesting. So this is some really different kind of uh, way to go about this than what we've done before. I just wanted to give you kind of my, those off the cuff uh, thoughts on it. Kind of how this is kind of how I do things. I, I did read a couple of these articles here and there, probably while I was half in the bag, right? So I'm not retaining everything. So I'm just spouting things out to you right now, and uh, and just giving you my initial reactions. But I'm I'm pretty interested in this one, and I'm going to do more research on it. I would love to have someone come on from Sagenta and talk more about it, and correct me if I made anything wrong or tell me where I'm right or whatever. Uh, we can. I've looked at the use rates; they seem to be extremely low. So again, a lot more that I need to go into, but uh, pretty cool if we do get a solution here to get rid of Bermuda grass in St. Augustine grass and it's affordable. Will it be affordable for the DIYer? This is the last thing I want to say. It will always be affordable for the DIYer because I have one lawn to love, right? And so I can invest as much into my one single lawn as I want because I don't have to make a living on the lawn. Um, I don't. The lawn is a hobby to me. It is an outlet. It is something that I enjoy doing. It is entertainment. So for me, I can invest all I want in that. Just like if you're somebody that your hobby is cars, you will invest tens of thousands of dollars in getting a new motor and putting blowers on there or nitrous or whatever you do and going to the track on the weekends. You'll do all these things because that's your hobby, right? Well, mine is lawn care. And so for me to spend four or 500 bucks or whatever this is going to cost 300 bucks on a, on something it's okay. I'll do it. It's it's literally no skin off my back. And for me, because I'm a YouTuber, I'll make content out of it. So I'll make some back just on views, right? So I've got a, I mean, this is a, this is just kind of how the old content to commerce idea works. And Syngenta, if you want me to sell the stuff, 
we could talk about it. <laughs> uh, I'll sell a lot. That is for sure. But you know, no, nah, probably not my thing. I don't really want to get into that. But what I'm trying to say is I'll spend the money. Now, is it going to be economically viable though for uh, Chuck and, and his truck that has, you know, uh, 300 accounts that he sprays? I don't know. Will it be, will it be uh, affordable or economical for someone like Massey that might be able to buy in, in bulk Massey services? They're a big spray company here. They might be able to buy in bulk so they can get a better deal. Maybe they have a way to, to use it on certain lawns. I don't know. They might be able to make it profitable. We'll have to see. And that all remains to be seen when these things come out. So that's kind of how we're going to follow that over time is, is, uh, is that. And I want you to understand, yes, I'll go out and spend the money on it because I'm just a DIYer making content here. Uh, but if you're a, a, a pro out there, this is one of those things you're going to probably want to sit back and watch for a little bit uh, before you uh, go invest too quick. So, all right, with that, I hope you guys have enjoyed this podcast. Uh, I know I enjoyed putting it together, going over it, some different topics today. We'll keep these coming back. If you want to give me some feedback, I would love to hear that. Put it in the comments below. As always, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. I hope you get to enjoy the mo, and I'll see you in the lawn.